Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough Winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 68 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo, and we are fresh off of our first live stream. Uh, We were live on Twitter after the Mets hired Billy Epler as their GM, and if you missed it, don't worry. You can watch it on the That's So Mets Twitter, or if you subscribe to the YouTube, you probably know already it's been uploaded on there as well, so it's fun to answer questions as we were live for about a half hour as the Mets finally make a decision or make a hire uh, to run the baseball operations of this team. So that's a big step moving forward as we get into the offseason. We're going to talk about Noah Syndergaard today signing with the Angels, and we'll answer a ton of your questions as well. So, Joe, uh, we've been pretty busy this week. How's it going? It's going all right. I mean, a crazy 24 hours. We were you and I were talking just a few days ago, like, when is something going to happen where we have you know, a true topic to talk about that, you know, is concrete action that has occurred. And, you know, the last 24 hours, you had the Billy Epler news drop. And then, of course, this morning, the news of Noah Syndergaard, kind of surprisingly, uh, not shockingly, but surprisingly departing the Mets and going to the Angels on a one-year deal for more than the qualifying offer. It's uh, It's been an interesting 24 hours in Mets land. Yeah, it really has. I, I think... For a couple of reasons. One, we have been anticipating a hire at the top of this front office for a long time. So that wasn't necessarily surprising. Although Billy Epler was not a name at the front of this thing, but a name that I think both you and I, as we've said before, are satisfied with. And it definitely leaves the door open uh, for next year or the year after that, that this front office will be bolstered with either names under him as he grows into a president role or the big fish and David Stearns ahead of him. So that's to be continued, but that doesn't really matter right now. No worth, you know, not worth getting caught up in that. Epler, who has experience, as Steve Cohen has said before, he did not want somebody that would be learning on the job. Epler has handled a big money owner in Artie Moreno before and has handled big budgets, has handled international signings like a guy like Otani, has handled mega in-house extensions like Trout. And, of course, the draft and everything through that. So, obviously satisfied with the hire. We talked a lot about it on the stream, but we will open with at least a few minutes here as well. If you did not get to watch the video or you don't want to go back right now, I think the most important thing in all of this right now 
is that besides the fact there is really no learning curve here, it, it, most important to me, Joe, is that the Mets offseason can actually get underway as we're starting to see some action around the league uh, going past the Mets right now. I think that's one of the biggest things uh, that you said there, the no learning curve. When we were talking about Adam Cromey or talking about Raquel Ferreira or any of these assistants that obviously are qualified baseball executives, but the reality is they were going to come into a situation and have to learn how to run a baseball operations department, which is no easy task. Uh, it You have to be able to collaborate with every department, scouting, player development, analytics, and everything, you know, even the business side of things. It's not even just baseball operations that you have to deal with. Uh, so as GM, I think Billy Epler is a guy that, while not perfect, uh, certainly you can point to the five years, his five-year run with the Angels, where they didn't make the playoffs any of the years that he was there. Um, you obviously have, you know, things that he'll have to answer to regarding Mickey Calloway and you know, even Tyler Skaggs, the situation that happened there. Not that those necessarily directly fall on Epler, but things that he'll have to speak to. But you're hiring a guy here that has background in scouting, background in uh, player development, background in analytics. Uh, and he's one of very few that the Mets considered that has actually ran a baseball operations department. So getting a guy with his experience, I think it's a fine hire. Certainly when you get past the big names that they were considering, Epler's probably just as good, if not a better candidate than anyone else that they were realistically considering. And, you know, we're, we're going to see, like you said, some things that could happen down the road. Not so concerned about it. I just know that, especially, and, and especially today, where the Mets lost a player that they kind of expected to be back, you know, Billy Epler has to be ready to hit the ground running. Yeah, it's pretty nuts, right? He goes from now. The good thing is, it's not he's not having to learn anything, so that's a good sign. Like Chromie being thrown into this would have been a total whirlwind. No matter how the results ended out, this first month would have been tough for somebody um, like that. Where with Epler, you know, it is interesting. He had taken an agency job, um, you know, with William Morris, an agency I know very well, and and it seemed like there was a lot of smoke around it that would be hard to get him to leave that job because let's be real working in sports at a high executive level in large markets or any market, but especially large markets is taxing for any human being. It's taxing on you, your family and the trickle effect where, you know, sometimes making a lot of money doing it. And then when you're let go or you step away, it's nice to work in a different space where you have a little bit more, more control of your schedule. So um, it, this was a hire that I'm sure behind the scenes did take some convincing. And, and Epler wanted to feel that this is an environment that he can succeed in when you hear so many rumors. And I don't even really know if we should call them rumors. I think it's pretty well known how difficult it was for him in a place like the Angels organization where the owner was... Uh, often described as very frustrating and and involved to a point that was, you know, critically impacting Epler's ability to do the job. Now, that's not a pass for Epler, of course, that I'm not using that as a pass, but I am definitely intrigued by what his go around here looks like, of course. And 
will he go through the same thing with Steve Cohen or will Steve Cohen kind of be hands off with the baseball operations? It's that's it's going to be really interesting to watch. And I'm intrigued and curious by all of that. So Billy Epler to the Mets is GM. Things are going to get moving and things have gotten moving. And if you've listened to us for weeks or really anybody that cover does Mets coverage in any capacity, it's almost been assumed. It's pretty much been reported that Noah Syndergaard would take the one-year qualifying offer for around $18 million from the Mets, and that would be that. Now, the conversation around that was interesting. A lot of people felt like that was an overpay. Uh, Syndergaard, in press conferences himself, seemed you know delighted by the idea if the Mets would actually do that. There was other conversations of, hey, maybe the Mets can work out a more team-friendly deal beside that number. And then, of course, you and I have been in the mold of it's a one-year deal. Yes, it's a high number, but no, it's you're fine with it. And then in a whirlwind out of nowhere, Noah Syndergaard does get a one-year deal on the market, but it's with the Angels for $21 million. So he gets about a $3 million bump from what was expected, which, you know, before I pass this to you, Joe, um, this isn't a sky is falling thing to me. Would I have liked Syndergaard back on a one-year deal? Sure. Do I think that ultimately, and I include myself in this group, fans have become more attached with the Noah Syndergaard brand and idea of him than actual results on the field in recent years? Yes. This is one where if you just look at it as for what he is at this point in his career, which is extremely volatile, not able to stay healthy, and undoubtedly packs a ton of upside when things go right for him, I think it's easier to separate that the Mets can recover from losing Syndergaard. It's going to take work, and they're going to have to be proactive. But this is not one to me where I felt defeated at the announcement of the news. What about you? I didn't either. And, you know, like, uh, I think fans, like you said, are attached to the character a bit. Uh, to me, you know, if you just look at this from, like, a pragmatic, base, purely baseball perspective, you know, the Mets made Syndergaard a handsome offer of $18.4 million for one year with the qualifying offer, um, knowing that if he takes it, they're probably paying, you know, a little more, maybe even a decent amount more, depending on how many innings he's going to throw in 2022, because that's something we don't talk about. After two years off, how many innings is he prepared to pitch? Uh, so, you know, they look at that as maybe an uptick in pay for what they'll get back value-wise, but it's worth it. And then obviously, if he were to decline it for some reason and go somewhere else, you get draft pick compensation uh, if he were to depart. And of course, that's what came to fruition. Uh, to me, I don't think Syndergaard's a guy that was worth getting in a bidding war for. Uh, I don't think it's someone that the Mets need to have back at all costs. I think for 2022 in itself, Noah Syndergaard is a quite a replaceable asset, to be honest, because uh, I don't know what you're expecting innings wise, 120 innings, maybe 130 tops. Uh, you know, maybe he'll prove us all wrong and he'll go have an awesome year and put up a bunch of a bunch of innings. And, you know, this time, you know, next year we'll be hoping and praying that the Mets pursue Noah Syndergaard as a free agent to to bolster the rotation for 2023. Uh, but I think for just purely baseball. You know, they did, to me, the right thing. They made him the qualifying offer. They figured he would probably take it. He didn't take it. And now they get draft pick compensation for him. 
And that $18.4 million that they sort of had earmarked for them now goes back into the budget. And you could use that to address the array of needs that this team has. You know, they have to add to the bullpen. They have to add at least two starters right now. Two starters for sure. That'll plug into the rotation day one. Sure thing. And then, uh, yeah, sure things that are going to go in the rotation. And then obviously on the offensive side of the ball, you have to figure out third base, outfield, maybe second base. So there's a lot of things that the Mets have to do. So in a, the bad sense is they now created another hole that they need to address. But to me, it's one that they can, you know, ease sort of easily fill and get likely similar, if not more valuable production out of. And I'm going to go back to it. I wanted him at the trade deadline and the Rockies ended up not trading him because they were going to make him a qualifying offer. And then they didn't make him a qualifying offer for some reason. Uh, go sign John Gray. Like to me, John Gray is a guy that's going to provide similar type upside to Syndergaard. Maybe not the same, but similar. And, you know, you'll be able to feel a little more confident that he's going to throw 150 plus innings. I think what it comes down to with Syndergaard is there was a lot of risk there. Because I think the first thing that'll come to a lot of Mets fans' minds is like, wow, why didn't they just match that offer, right? For a guy that's been outspoken about staying and all of those things. And when we were doing the live stream, you know, uh, our, our pal Clay, who always has good input on the show, said, you have to keep in mind that he's he can give you, what, 150 innings. And Joe, your reaction was, well, that would be great. Like, that would be the maximum and for the Mets team, you know, this Mets team who it has to be thinking playoffs are bust this year, what is the number that you stop yourself at for a pitcher with a ton of upside, but the maximum is probably 150 innings? And when you just, once again, detaching yourself from the brand and character that is Noah Syndergaard, when you look at how things have gone, right? 2016, which is a long time ago, he was 23 years old. You know, now he's knocking on the doorstep of, you know, turning 30 next summer, right? In 2016, he was an all-star. He was tremendous. He threw 183 innings. Uh, he was phenomenal. 2017 was the year that he tore the lap muscle and had a biceps injury. He barely pitched at all in 2017. 2018, he was good when he was on the mound, but he missed time that year too. He threw about 150 innings, but he, he missed a decent amount of time. I think he missed at least about six weeks of starts, you know, and then 2019, the last year, the last time we've seen him fully healthy, he threw almost 200 innings, but he just wasn't very good. Quite frankly, the strikeout over nine was down uh, to 9.2. His ERA was 4.28. I don't think the defense necessarily was very good behind him, but this pitcher that you were always projecting as a frontline starter was pitching more like a number four or number five. And then unfortunately, the need for, you know, the torn UCL and the need for Tommy John surgery. And he comes back in 2021 with two appearances, uh, gives up two runs total and was not throwing breaking balls. So this isn't like my PR for the Mets rant or like trashing Syndergaard, who I've really enjoyed watching play when he was on the mound for the Mets here and really liked his attitude against other teams, notably in the World Series as a young guy that didn't really take any crap. I just think that there's not really bad one-year deals, sure, but when you're doing free agency, and I just had this rant similar to something with the Jets, yeah, there's no bad one-year deals, but when you need to put together a team, you also need to rely on guys, especially guys that are going to be in that 15 to $25 million range 
you need to rely on them. And the Mets right now, as we witnessed last year, where they didn't even have Syndergaard, right? So let's not act like they're losing a key piece from the team last year that came up short. They lost pitching at the snap of the fingers. And they need to go into this year thinking, yeah, there's a chance that guys get hurt again. But they really, really need to feel good about the impact of this rotation at guys at the top of it to give them 175 plus innings. And I just think that the reason they probably shrugged their shoulders when an offer came in that was three million over the qualifying offer is because I think they understand the reality that Syndergaard is not that reliable player for them anymore. And, and it's just, and the one year to me is just what makes it so interesting why the Angels were willing to give up a draft pick for a one year deal of Noah Syndergaard, who's clearly going to be on some level of an innings count this year. Uh, it's definitely a little bizarre decision on their end. If Syndergaard went and got some big money, multi year deal, you know, okay, that, that's kind of a different conversation. So it's a little peculiar that he's just, he's getting one year at more money. Like, just think like kind of what I said before, think about the fact that there was a lot of people, Mets fans and analysts and people on TV, people on the radio that they made the qualifying offer to a guy that pitched two innings over the last two years. And that was an overpay. So the Mets were paying him more money than he, than he needed. And they should have not made him the qualifying offer and found the common ground on a lower amount of money. The reality was, the market dictated somehow that 18.4 wasn't quite enough. And, you know, the Mets, I think, just looked at it and said, we appreciate Noah Syndergaard clearly. You don't offer someone $18.5 million that you don't value. Uh, but it's just let, let it go. The cost ended up being a little higher than they want to go. And they have a lot of things they need to fill. So getting that $18.5 million back on the books, I think, is something that they're looking forward to. And, you know, we're now it's on Billy Epler to use the money that's going to be at his disposal and to use it properly. Okay. So one question I'll sneak in here before we close the Syndergaard conversation uh, is from Billy Shutt, who asked, with the inability to sign any top GM candidates and losing Noah, it seems like the Mets, despite the richest owner in sports, are not anyone's first choice. What about this team are you excited for? And how did they turn this narrative around? Never felt so disheartened by this team. I think with great expectations often comes great disappointment a lot. And I think that understandably, when Steve Cohen came aboard and said, we're going to hire the best, the Mets haven't been able to do that for reasons that are largely out of their control, right? They're, they're getting blocked. They can't have conversations with these guys. Uh, this is just my belief and not sourced reporting, but I think Stearns would be here right now if his contract didn't prevent him from doing that. And I think now, when you look at Noah, I think a lot of guys like to talk about how happy they are in a place before free agency because it, one, it's probably true. I mean, it, when it's where you are as a, you know, young 20-something for half a decade plus, it's where you it starts to become home for you, quite frankly. I know Michael Conforto probably felt the same way, and that's why he was very emotional the last time he walked off City Field. But I think it's also a way for the fans to rally around you, and it puts a lot of the pressure on the team side. And 
I think while Noah Syndergaard probably would have been fine coming back here, I was never in the belief that he would give a discount. And now we've seen it firsthand. So this to me, to answer Billy's question, this side, not the front office side, which it's very warranted to question what's gone on there. I think with players, sure, some guys don't want to come to New York because they don't want that kind of pressure. It's That is very real and very true. But overall, one, you need to establish that you're a winning club. And getting Francisco Lindor here, no matter how you feel about him, and I love the guy, I, I think is a huge thing for guys to start coming here. Like, I really think Javi Baez enjoyed his time here, and a large part of that is playing with a guy like Lindor. So I think that's really, really big. Winning cures a lot of things. But number two overall, I mean, the fact is the Mets just came up very short in wanting to pay Syndergaard. And I don't really blame them for that, to be completely honest with you. And to be honest here, just because Steve Cohen has $14 billion doesn't mean he should just recklessly be throwing. Yeah, and recklessly just throw money around. Uh, I think Billy has, you know, some valid concerns. You know, the front office search, we covered it ad nauseum, unfortunately, and it was not a good search. It did not go well for the Mets. They failed to get access to people. They had people turn them down left and right. Like, there's no denying that there was something there. Uh, The Mets certainly need to prove that they're a stable organization. Steve Cohen came in, and last year's search wasn't quite such a problem. I mean, they had, you know, permission issues, same same things like David Stern's top guys. You ask permission, you get told no. But I don't remember talking about anyone outside of Chris Young that the Mets talked to and then said, no, nah, I don't want it. The Mets actually had like a list of candidates that they were working off. Uh, this year definitely felt different. Um, Syndergaard, I say this all the time, 99% of the time, players just take the most money. Don't blame what? them. I, Go ahead. Yeah. I cover the Mets. If someone offered me $3 million more to cover the Angels, I'd go cover the Angels. <laughs> uh, so it's hard to blame a player. You know, they only have so much of a lifespan in the sport. Like we just, we think about how much money they make and they make a ton of money, but they're only doing this for 10 years, 15 years. It really depends on your career. But for most part, it's 10 to 15 years. You should be optimizing the money you make during that period of time not worry about hometown discounts and, and this, that, and the other. So Syndergaard, I think if this offer from the angels didn't come about uh, tomorrow, we'd be talking about Noah Syndergaard being a Met again for $18.4 million. It's just the offer came, he got offered more. He took it. Uh, as far as what Billy said, what about the team? Are you excited for, and how do they turn this narrative around? Like you said, winning will change the narrative. That's, narratives only really exist on unsuccessful teams the successful teams like they do wrong things as well but they're winning so people Nobody overlook cares. it exactly yeah they only care if you're winning um as far as excited about the team you know if J- jacob Degrom coming back hopefully healthy you have the best pitcher in baseball you have a franchise shortstop in francisco Lindor. you have a massive power presence in pete alonso and th- they have some quality pieces, but there's no denying that this team needs a lot of work. So while I make comments about the fact that the Mets add draft pick compensation from Syndergaard and now their draft pick allotment is going to be even bigger and their pool is going to be huge. Like people, for some reason, when I gave that information, took that as me 
I don't know, not caring about the Mets winning for some reason. Uh, those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Like you can build the farm system while also trying to win. Uh, it's not a bad thing to have more draft picks. And certainly with, you know, Tommy Tannis and Mark Tremuda's scouting department, they've proven the ability to be successful with early round picks. So the more of those that the Mets have, the better off they're going to be for the long term. But in the short term, they have money to spend. They have needs to fill. They have a general manager now who at least knows how to run a department. And, you know, there's reason to question them. I don't think they deserve all of your faith by any means. Uh, but let's give them the opportunity to make some moves and let's see what the team looks like. And I know that's hard to do. Everything's kind of very much a reactionary world. And, you know, that's part of our thing. When something happens, we're going to be going on YouTube and reacting like that's a part of it. Uh, but at the same time, let's see how this offseason goes. And, you know, when the team that's going to Port St. Lucie for spring training is put together at that point, I think then you could really evaluate what they've done. And maybe when we look back in two months, the decision to not up the offer to Syndergaard looks like a bad decision. We don't know what they're going to do, but it's possible too that they get a better situation with that money. Yeah, I you know, and that we got a question about that. It's kind of perfect timing. It was from Aurelio Morales who said, with Syndergaard and Stroman gone, that's an assumption, by the way. Stroman is not gone yet. Uh, which pitchers do you think the Mets should pursue? I think a trade for uh, Manaya and Alex Wood, John Gray and Carlos Rodon. I know you've been really outspoken about Gray, and I, I agree with you, Joe. That would be a nice fit in some capacity. Um, but obviously, I think they'll have to pack a little bit more of a punch than that. You know, we could see Kevin Gosman getting to this conversation. Of course, Justin Verlander is a popular name thrown around. Uh, what do you think of that? So to me, I'm looking at it kind of twofold. Like if we're pseudo replacing Syndergaard, which it's I love how we talk about replacing a guy that didn't actually pitch for the Mets. Uh, but if we're, yeah, if we're replacing Syndergaard, to me, that's your John Gray. You sign John Gray. He replaces Noah Syndergaard. If Marcus Stroman departs, which, like you said, I don't think is a foregone conclusion, um, but certainly possible. Uh, Kevin Gosman's a name that jumps out. And I'm going to say it. I know that the automatic answer, and you're probably going to say it too, is that this is unlikely. I'm going balls to the wall for Max Scherzer. Me too. I just don't think he'll ever want to be here. <laughs> I really don't. Not, I'll say this. 99% of players <laughs> take where the most money is. You know, everyone's obsessed with the West Coast and Scherzer. Do we not forget that he spent the last seven seasons in Washington, D.C.? Yep. He's not he's not he hasn't been playing in the West Coast. I think at the trade deadline, he knew he had a uh, the no trade clause so he could really command where he spent the rest of the year. And why wouldn't he say, I want to play for the Dodgers, who were the best team in baseball, best odds to win the World Series? And obviously it didn't work out. But to me. That move makes a lot of sense to go all in. It's a two or three year, you know, it's a much shorter commitment for Scherzer, much bigger, you know, average annual salary. But if you want to go, you know, big time in short term, to me, he jumps out as someone that makes a lot of sense. Otherwise, a, a guy like Gosman, um, to me, is probably the next best bet. I'm with you on the Scherzer situation i mean he's 37 and still absolutely dominating it's unbelievable he's pitched in a ton of big games and i think he would kind of bring an edge that 
quite frankly, I think this team could use a little more of, right? There was a lot of conversation last year around how the clubhouse that had been here for a while, years previous, you know, was a little nonchalant at times and didn't necessarily have the fire or the foot on the gas mentality. So, you know, we hear so much, and I just said it, about Scherzer, um, you know, not wanting to come here. But make it difficult for him, right? Like, do something crazy. Uh, he's 37, so nobody's going to be out there offering five- or six-year deals. We know that. Just offer a ridiculous two-year deal, right? Like, two like two years, $85 million. Am I insane? Who cares? Uh, no. Who no, cares? I don't think you are. Yeah, I don't think you're insane at all. That's I would try to do precisely that and try to bring Scherzer in. And that's, that's a go-for-it-now move, and it doesn't have long-term negative ramifications to your you know payroll as time goes on yeah it's it's going to be interesting how they i mean they obviously have many plans up their sleeve now epler just got here so you know obviously i'm sure when they interviewed him which has been going on for a week by the way it's not act like epler met with steve cohen this morning and now he's the mets gm like when you interview guys like that they have a full offseason plan i think that's something you said on the on the stream last night joe so letting Syndergaard go and maybe I'm putting too much trust in the Mets here, but letting him go, I think the Mets are going to surprise a lot of people with how they attack this pitching market. And I think that ultimately we are going to be surprised by at least one of the additions. Very possibly true. And they know like you and I know they need two starting pitchers that can really be locked in members of rotation and depth. I assure you, they also know that. Uh, it's just a matter of who do they go for. And, you know, we look for a Stroman replacement. It's a very, very real possibility that Marcus Stroman is the Marcus Stroman replacement. He just comes back at a five-year deal or something and over $100 million. I think that's where his market's headed. And I think that's a very distinct possibility. I think the one issue they'll run into if bringing Stroman back is the big pitching move is, you know, people will say, and obviously DeGrom getting hurt is my counter, but people will say, like, why is this Mets team any better? Right? Don't you think that would be like the constant talking point? People just yeah, like different, absolutely. right? People just like right, different right. things. Yeah. And I think you're gonna see a very different team. Uh I think this just think of the core that we spoke of just a couple of years ago. A lot of it is gone. And we're still talking about potentially trades of a JD Davis, a Dom Smith, a Jeff McNeil. Uh, there's a lot of things that are going to happen. This team is going to start looking different, and it has to. Uh, but as far as Strowman goes, change for change's sake isn't always the best move. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. Uh, but you know, certainly, if you can, if you can't resign Strowman, then you have to find another option. That's what it comes down to. And how are the Mets better? Uh, Jacob Degrom being healthy for a season would help a lot. Uh, Carlos Carrasco pitching like he's pitched for the entirety of his career prior to this season. And he had hamstring issues and he had, he had a myriad of issues. And when he came back, he basically did his spring training at the big league level. Uh, so, you know, Carrasco needs to bounce back and you need a, a full season of Taiwan Walker looking like Taiwan Walker did in the first half. And then at the very, very end of the season, he turned around a bit again. Uh, so the rotation still could be good. It's just the ifs are there, which is why I'm okay with the Cinder Guard because that's another if. 
like I'd like to bring in two guys that I feel comfortable what I'm going to get out of them. So that way we can just move forward. It goes without saying that we are all missing travel right now. But you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals, flights, and more. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, this view is incredible. More, mmm, another round of room service, please. More, yes, I'm extending my vacation. Sorry, boss, if you're listening, just ignore that last part. Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, check out Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more wow, mmm, and yes, just to name a few. Make sure to download the Priceline app for even more savings. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's get into the mailbag for real this time. We got plenty of good questions. Thank you to everyone. And as always, the Apple Pod reviews get top priority. So the first one here is from Ryan D. Thank you so much, Ryan. He asked, are there any free agents that the Mets might go after that aren't being talked about? Who are some smaller free agents that you would like to see signed? So when I read this question, I instantly thought last year, like when they got VR and Pilar really late um, and, and signings along the lines of that. And obviously, Taiwan was a really late signing, but somebody that, you know, everybody had their eyes on for a while. So I'm going to pull up. I have the free agency list here. I think one name that comes to mind for me uh, Joe, that's like not being discussed at all. That would be a, it would be after you sign, like after you acquire two pitchers you feel good about. But Michael Pineda uh, was quietly very solid for the Twins last year. Three six two ERA. You know, not somebody that strikes out a lot of guys, uh, but can go out there. You know, when he's right, obviously give you some innings and, and keep the ball uh, in the yard for the most part. So I think when I read this question, I think of guys like that, that are, they're just not going to break the bank. They're going to be brought in as these, these depth kind of pieces on one year deals. So are there any names that you think we're just completely overlooking that you kind of have your eye on? I look at someone like a Carlos Martinez, who's kind of had his struggles uh, recently with the Cardinals. So he's out there in free agency. He's done some relief work. He's done some starter work. So maybe he's a guy you consider for a, 
back end starter role or a swingman role. And obviously he's had success in the past, so it's not a uh, a pitcher who's incompetent. He's just not been so good of late. And I think ultimately what you're looking for when you're talking about these smaller moves are people that have had prior success, but maybe not as much recent success. And you're banking on a bounce back. That's, I mean, that that's what a Taiwan Walker move was. That's what a Jonathan VR move was. Like those are moves that, you know, don't cost as much because they either weren't healthy or their performance wasn't great of late. Uh, I mean, even look at Robbie Ray. I mean, Robbie Ray was not very good. He was struggling. He couldn't throw strikes. The Blue Jays give him a year and seven or eight million dollars, and he's going to win the Cy Young probably for the American League. So, you just need to find that that right person that has some success in their background, and certainly the if you're talking pitching, the stuff to succeed is just let's get him into our system with Jeremy Hefner, and let's see if we can maximize what that person's pay- capable of doing. Yeah, and you know when you look at the position player market, obviously the Mets have mega needs across the board in the outfield, but it's just not really a dense group for the most part. I, I, that's why this is not relating to the relating to the question at all. But when you look at somebody like Starling Marte being connected to them so often, that would upgrade center field. That to me would be a name that I I think they should come out and be aggressive on. Although he's a player that probably will have a big market. And then you get into an outfield market that's, you know, veteran guys like you have Jorge Soler, um, you know, obviously Conforto's out there. Castellanos attached to a qualifying offer. You could probably forget about him. Schwarber, we've talked about before. McCutcheon is 35 years old now. It's just not a very good outfield market. And that seems to be the area where they can use a signing um, of a, you know, lower market kind of player. You're looking to have a bounce back or even be your fourth outfielder. Seiya Suzuki. Yeah, that's getting posted. That he's, would he's be getting fun. posted by the Hiroshima Carp from the Nippon uh, Baseball League in Japan. And, you know, I, he's someone that has been discussed. And, you know, I don't know how serious the Mets will pursue him once he's officially posted. But I'm thinking that uh, it's a possibility that Suzuki could be. He's not really maybe a small name in this. He's a small name in a sense that most people don't know who he is. Uh, but he's not a guy that you'd be signing for $2 million for a year or whatever. Like he's a guy that would get a multi-year deal for okay money, but not premium starter money. And, you know, maybe that's a guy that you take a shot on some upside. If you're able to bring in, like you said, a Starling Marte and you bring back Javi Baez, can you kind of afford that risk of someone like uh, say a Suzuki, you know, maybe that's something to, to think about and, and a player that is just so out of the realm of normal for them to go after right they do yeah. not attack the international market they literally never do uh, i think that would create some excitement in a very different way for the mets i think so i think that there's a there's a yearning for a quality uh japanese player in new york we've seen what has happened with guys like hideki matsui and masahiro tanaka and you know, it was very short-lived of any level of success, but Kaz Matsui brought a lot of excitement. Uh, new manager over in Japan, Siyoshi Shinjo, was one of my favorite oh, players he was growing the best, up. Man, yeah, I loved Shinjo. And did you see his thing where he like he wants to be called boss man? Yes, and the way instead he instead of manager, dude, the way he dresses he's still is unbelievable. Dude, he's Shinjo's a stud, total stud. Um, could, yeah. could, like looks like he could be like honestly the next James Bond. That's what yeah. Shinjo looks like these days so if you haven't kept up with shinjo 
Uh, you should, because he's as entertaining as ever. All right. And one thing before we close off that question, and this is the case almost every year, but as I'm looking at the market right now, the reliever market is always pretty crowded. Uh, we're assuming the Mets are going to be able to bring back Aaron Loop. Um, but if they were not, that's where you start to get the out of nowhere signings, right? Like when Trevor May signed last year, it was kind of like, oh, that was really fast and not a name that we expected in any way. Yeah. I mean, relievers are certainly an opportunity where you're going to spend less money and potentially get more reward out of it. So that's relievers to me are the biggest spot where I'm looking at my fancy new analytics team. That's 26, 30 people deep, whatever it is now. Um, and I'm saying, find me the impact reliever that I could sign. Find me Aaron Loop, right? Like you can sign Aaron Loop back and I obviously support that. Uh, but find me the next Aaron Loop. That's that's what I'm looking at those people to do. Like Aaron Loop, just think he signed for a year and three million. I'm pretty sure when he signed with the Mets last year. And at the time it was like, oh, well, that feels maybe a little heavy for what Loop has done previously. And then obviously he had, you know, an all time kind of season. Find the next Aaron Loop. That's that's what I'm looking at those people to do. Yeah, that's kind of how, how the good teams play it, right? They're not going to go into the reliever market. And we know buying up the reliever market really never works just being real and we'd love to see loop back but um you know there has to be a point of yeah developing or getting the guys on the one year three million dollar deals that turn into top 15 relievers across baseball so yeah that's going to be a really interesting one okay we've kind of touched on this question a little bit but i'll revisit it again from daniel weber who asked which of the second tier starters do you think this team should pursue are there any starters on the trade market you think they should be aggressive after it feels like Castillo on the reds uh, is the name that is on the trade market every single year that people are obsessed with. Am I wrong? Yeah, I, I think Castillo is obviously the prime target. If you want to stay in Cincinnati, I talked about Sonny Gray last year. He's intriguing. Uh, if you want to go to Oakland, they're going to have Frankie Montas. They're going to have Sean Manaya. They're going to have Chris Bassett available. Um, I frankly, I just look at smaller market teams that have pitchers that make a decent amount of coin. And those are the names that I'm pursuing. But, you know, Sonny Gray is someone that I know that we talked about last year. And, you know, maybe that's something that they could revisit again this year. If they don't sign John Gray, they could trade for Sonny Gray. Just bring a great. What to if the they Mets got and, both and of we're, them? And we're good. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Bring bring on both grays, which is uh, famously Dak Prescott. My quarterback's favorite color, he said, is gray. So uh, bring grays to the Mets. <laughs> that is that is really good. Yeah, gray coming off a season where um, he was not as good as he usually is, but he's still somebody that you feel, you know, can pitch a decent amount of innings and, um, you know, hover around that four ERA, 3.7 ERA kind of area. So, you know, I, I think the Oakland guys are really interesting because they are being talked about as essentially having a fire sale over there. Of course you have to trade something back, but looking at how the Mets are going to play this market, it feels like they're in a scenario where they're probably going to have to trade for an arm and they're probably going to have to spend on at least one or two arms. I, I don't think this is an either or for the Mets. I, and, and that kind of trade can be, you know, like when the Blue Jays traded for Steven Matz from the Mets last year, like the Mets could be making that kind of trade where you're taking a flyer on a guy you hope can be a fourth or fifth starter while you spent big on your number two and number three. So there's a lot of ways the board can go here for this team. And 
we're going to kind of learn about Epler in this situation as well. Not that he hasn't done it before, but this is a clean slate and in an area where he's coming from a franchise that has undoubtedly struggled to figure out their starting rotation. Yeah, it's it's going to be very interesting to see how they address the rotation. And, you know, like you said, the Angels never could get a rotation together. And, you know, Ep, again, how much is Epler's fault? Whatever. Like we can we can debate that till we're blue in the face. The reality was he was GM. He was in charge of baseball operations and they failed to put together a rotation. So he needs to prove now that he's able to do that somewhere else. Uh, and, you know, often people who get second chances tend to not make the same mistakes that they made last time. And, you know, he'll ultimately, like every GM in the sport, he'll make new mistakes. But I'm thinking he'll not make the same mistake when it comes to starting pitching this time around. Do guys like... This is me sneaking my own question in the mailbag. Do guys like Gosman or Rodon scare you at all because they are like the classic, everything clicked at around 30 years old. They've both been hurt plenty of times in the past. And now they're going into a starting pitching market that we know is going to explode with money. You have to be very cognizant. And that's where you bring in, you know, Jeremy Hefner uh, you bring in your pitching coordinators, you bring in your analytics department, and you try to see past the numbers that you and I can look up on baseball reference. And, you know, what's the spin rates? What are the spin shapes? What's everything involved in what this person is doing? And is it something that you could project going forward as something that will continue to grow? Or is it something that it was deemed uh, a fluke of sorts? I feel a little better about Gosman than I do Rodon personally. Um, and I think the contract will probably speak to baseball feeling the same way. But to me, you know, it, it's definitely worth questioning. Uh, some people are late bloomers. It does happen. I mean, in his in his mid-20s, Max Scherzer wasn't the Max Scherzer that we know and love today. Uh, he was a power pitcher, struck some guys out. He was good. But he didn't get really special until his last couple of years before free agency. And then obviously his run with the Nationals was fantastic. Uh, you do learn as you age. So you would think that these players have learned some things and that'll aid them in develop in, you know, not losing development at an early 30s age. So there's some risk. Uh, but the whole point of hiring the kind of departments that the Mets are putting together is to identify these guys and identify what's a reality and what's, you know, fluky. And I should correct myself, even in the shortened season in 2020, Gossman was pretty good. So he's coming off yeah. really a year and a half now of being a reliable arm that strikes a lot of people out. And I think that is why he's going to get a mega deal. And I that's a name that honestly wouldn't really surprise me if the Mets just put everything aside and said, we don't feel good about Stroman getting you know, six, one forty five, one of 10, whatever it's going to be. When we think we can get Gosman for the same, a little more, um, and, and a different kind of pitcher, right? There's no doubt about that. A very different kind of pitcher. So yeah, I think that's it. That's definitely a name to keep an eye on. I, I am intrigued by our, uh, Scherzer discussion. There's no doubt about that. Although I will, I quite frankly will never believe it. All right, the last question from the mailbag from Steve Miller. And and once again, if we don't get to your questions, uh, Joe and I are going to make it a point now to stream 
more often because it's just easier to answer the rapid fire stuff in there and save the the long hour plus combo for the pod every every middle of the week. So from Steve Miller, can't do a show without answering a question from Steve Miller. Is it possible we get to a shutdown? Doesn't start back up till late February, and no one wants to sign Conforto and give up the the pick until June and July when the pick attached expires. See Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell in 2019. Will that ever happen again? It could. I mean, it's it's quite a theory. Uh, most people seem to think that the lockout or whatever will end, you know, late January, early February. Uh, I don't think either side wants to impact baseball. They just want to hold out as long as they can. And I think you'd get into that kind of NFL free agency where it's a rush over a couple week period where everybody's getting paid. Everyone's getting signed. Uh, is it possible that some people fall through the cracks? You know, it's, it is possible. I, I, I would not say something will never happen again. Uh, my guess with Conforto though, is he'll get his money. And I don't think he would be the type that would fall into that, but there's no question that it could happen, especially if the lockout lasts a little longer than, you know, you or I, or, the community expects. Yeah, to me the difference is although I'm I'm really not the biggest uh believer in Michael Conforto as a long-term investment that he's going to be. I think he's going to get a 5 to 6 year deal worth a lot of money. I I think trying to put my GM hat on and you could tell me if I'm wrong here, Joe. Kimbrel reliever and, and there's just so much volatility in the upper tier reliever market that teams were not comfortable going there. And I, Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure Kimbrell's market that year, what he was asking for or his agent was asking for was like astronomical. It was like a crazy, crazy number. And then with Keuchel, I don't think it's going to happen to Stroman this year because this is a weird pitching market that's going to explode. But with Keuchel, teams in this era are definitely a little afraid of the contact pitchers more as investments, right? You might, you like them for a year there. You like them for a two to three year deal here, six years, five years, serious money. Um, it, it goes back to the volatility of that market. So now Conforto, on the other hand, is one of the streakiest hitters I've seen. So you can make that argument for him, but GMs like the guy that suits up every day, plays in right field, hits 20 to 30 home runs, you pencil him into the three hole. I'm not a believer that he's that guy on a championship team, but I know a lot of people in baseball do. What do you think, Joe? I, so, I mean, I, I think he is. I, at the end of the day, is he a face of the franchise player on a champion? Maybe, maybe not. But, you know, you don't need to be, nowadays, you see very much not face of the franchise type players getting $20 million a year. Uh I think Conforto is a very, very useful member of a championship type of team. And it sounds as of now, you know, things could change. Like Steve said, maybe the market dries up and, you know, it makes fiscal sense for the Mets to revisit. As of now, it seems like that won't happen here. And, you know, he's a streaky player to your point. Um, Many players are. He just happens to be maybe a little more than the average as far as streakiness goes. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see how how his market really unfolds and i think he's preparing the leave i think the mets are preparing for him to leave and the mets are going to have probably two outfield spot spots to fill so we have a couple rotation spots a couple outfield spots maybe a third base or a second base depending on what 
transpires there. So uh, there's a lot that needs to be done. And uh, unfortunately, you know, we're looking dead in the eyes of a lockout in under three weeks now. And if that when and if that occurs uh, and everything freezes, it's going to be a, a pretty brutal stretch uh, when you're into the hot stove and rumors and things like that. But, you know, Conforto's market will certainly be one of many that I am very closely following. Yeah, and I, I don't even think it'll be overly complicated, right? I think pretty quickly he'll be a guy that gets the five-year, hundred twenty million kind of deal. That yeah, I'd, I'd say between a hundred and hundred and twenty. Like he'll get, I think he will get nine figures. I don't know how deep into nine figures he'll get, but he's going to do just fine. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. So, and it might be a scenario where a fresh start for him and a fresh start for the Mets is great for everyone involved maybe Conforto ends up being a really nice signing for someone um and for the Mets they allot their money uh elsewhere that works for them so it's gonna be an interesting free agency man I'm really excited because there's so many dominoes that are gonna fall and they're gonna I think they're gonna fall relatively quickly as we saw you know when you and I woke up today and 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 knew we had a show to do after doing the stream last night I don't think we were uh, prepared for that Cindergard deal to be to be wrapped up. We we had started to feel that you know, hey, you never know, he might explore his market, but uh, it goes quick. You know, it goes quick as we do this show right now. He's apparently taking his physical, and if he passes that, the Cindergard era with the Mets uh, is over and really ended in 2019. Quite sadly, but with that, I think this team needs some new life and a new image and. Reasons for people to be optimistic around a different looking core. And like we know Lindor is going to be here. We know P. Alonso is going to be here for a pretty long time. We know Jacob DeGrom, assuming all goes well this spring, is going to be the guy on the mound opening day. But what those pieces around that big three looks like is really going to dictate the ceiling of this team in a year where, you know, they got to walk the walk right and make the playoffs and be a competitive baseball team that uh, teams don't want to run into and Co Steve Cohen knows that I think Billy Epler took this job knowing that and I'm excited to see how it all plays out not just this next month obviously the next you know really the next 11 months but this next month is the the key starting starting point for all of that totally totally agree and I'm glad that they got a GM here uh that's ready to roll ready to run baseball operations like i said probably has a plan in place like he came in and probably has a vision for how he wants to build this roster and you know he's got to be ready to hit the ground running so let's uh let's finalize this deal let's get a press conference let's have him meet the media answer all the questions that need to be answered and then get right to work because uh time is of the essence that's right. With that being said, Joe, do you have any closing thoughts for the fine people at home? Uh, just check out the YouTube channel, uh, the video from Instant Reaction last night. Uh, like Connor said, we're going to we're going to start live streaming more, um, not necessarily only when something happens. And, you know, I'll try not to blindside with a with a live on Connor when he's not expecting it. But uh, we'll we'll plan out some stuff because, you know, the fact that we got to rapid fire answer a bunch of questions from a bunch of our listeners that, you know, I recognize the name of uh, really, really fun. And, you know, when we hit the YouTube platform, hopefully, you know, that uh, viewership even increases and, you know, just 
keep on keep on doing that so Mets, man. That's what it's about. I was laughing at uh one of our listeners saying that the YouTube channel is is feels like a bit. And it really <laughs> I kind of accepted that it does. It, it it's going to be classified as a bit until it's a consistent weekly thing. Maybe we just rename it the Dusty YouTube channel. I, I, that would be <laughs> 8,000 subscribers later to the Dusty YouTube yeah. channel from the Dusty That's So Mets pod. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, everyone. We'll catch you next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're Black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.